Welcome to the Business Radio Network. Enjoy Small Biz, Big Voices with Stephanie Rising. Hi, I'm Stephanie Rising, a business coach and author in beautiful Tucson, Arizona. Today, it's my pleasure to speak with Tabitha Danlo, a certified integrative coach and owner of The Divine Sophia. Our interview will conclude with a Proust lightning round, and our final segment will be Dear Coach, when I'll coach listeners through issues they've emailed in. For the time being, we are recording our show remotely, so thank you for bearing with any sound idiosyncrasies. It's my pleasure to welcome my guest, Tabitha Danlo. As a professional certified coach and certified professional integrative coach, Tabitha loves to empower others to conquer fear, let go and trust, and to embrace being courageously authentic. She does this by helping busy executives and leaders, entrepreneurs, and men and women all over the world to create measurable results toward their goals in their companies, careers, businesses, and lives. She believes that everyone has tremendous wisdom that lives within, and as a certified coach, it is her job to help you hear that wisdom. Tabitha, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for spending time with us today. I always love talking with you. I love talking with you too, Steph, so thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm really genuinely glad to have you here because you're definitely one of my touchstones and you know our interview is taking place during a very tumultuous time in our <laughs> in our history and oh yeah I mean we could get into the whole personal side of it but we'll stick with the business because I've noticed and I'm sure as you have that many small business owners right now feel just exhausted and overwhelmed. Even the best compartmentalizers are having a difficult time because they're having to dig extra deep to be leaders when there's so much to process just as a human being. Um, what are you observing as a coach about this particular moment in time? Um, that's such a great question. And the biggest thing that I feel like I'm observing is our capacity. We're in a time in our lives, our businesses, um, where our capacity is really being challenged. So for many of us with our businesses and leaders, we're, we're totally at max capacity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with that, it's kind of these, these two or three other things that, that I think go hand in hand. This time is asking us to be very vulnerable as business owners and as leaders. And that's a really scary thing to do on top of already the scary things that are happening in this world. Yeah. Um, but because our capacity is so maxed out, I think that we must, we must be vulnerable about that. And we must realize that we have limits and that we need to ask for help when we need that help, um, myself included. And that through that, we have the opportunity for deep transformation of our businesses, of ourselves, of how we run our teams. And that's the birthplace of innovation. When we're willing to ask for help, when we're willing to see a new perspective and realize that the status quo isn't going to work because our capacity is maxed out, that's when we can create some pretty awesome change. And, you know, I was taking notes while, while you were talking and about you know, this, this time is asking us to be very vulnerable. And I think what I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people struggle with and, and I was struggling with it until I, I became conscious of it and I really started reflecting on it that 
this is an amazing time to really embrace change and to be creative. And yet, because change and innovation takes all of this energy and, we'll, and we're simultaneously tapped out, I think people are kind of ping-ponging back and forth. Like, do I just do I just hunker down and do what I know to do and take one step at a time and put one foot in front of the other? Or do I just go full out and embrace this for the opportunity that it is? And, and I see big swings back and forth in both like energy and emotion and you know people's ability to act on good intentions. I would have to say I completely agree with that. It's, it's, a, it's a definitely a push in both directions, it seems. It, it is a push. What, what do you do? I, th I mean, this kind of leads to my, to my next question because um, like I, I think you and I fully acknowledge there aren't any easy answers right now. And you know, one of the things that helps me like summon the energy I need to overcome difficulty is to remember a challenge that I've already overcome. So like I asked myself to remember, you know, what did I have to do when that was occurring and what did I get to accomplish as a result of that? And I, I really try to remember it as a moment so that as difficult as it was, it did eventually pass. Like what's right. something that, that you've had to face that serves as that guiding reminder? How do you keep yourself grounded and not so much of that seesaw of, you know, which way do you go when you're faced with a challenge or a difficulty and you're already challenged with capacity? This is a really, really good question. And I'll be vulnerable for a moment with all of you and say that I really struggled with this the last couple of days, last week in particular, when the fire started in Tucson. That was the thing that like really I don't know, hit me very hard because I, I hike quite a bit and I spend a lot of time in nature. So my normal answer, Steph, would be, I go out in nature <laughs> and I hike. And, um, and I, really, I really get back to basics. Um, I did a huge trip six years ago to Africa, which Stephanie knows about. Um, and it was an amazing you know, kind of eat, pray, love trip, if you will, where I traveled through six different countries in four months. And, and that was also really hard. I got malaria and I almost died during that trip. So that's my like marker stuff. Is, yeah. As hard as malaria. No. <laughs> it's kind of hard to top a near death experience. Right. I imagine that brings a lot of perspective. It really <laughs> does. It really does. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what also helps me dig myself out of out of that swing that yeah. you're talking about of like I have capacity let's be innovative and change and woohoo and then oh my gosh I can do nothing but sit here and watch Netflix all day um and I think a lot of people relate to that right now so yeah getting back to the basics um is not the answer anyone wants to hear and yet it's the most powerful answer that I think works for not just myself but everyone and what that means is whatever those basics are for you, are you getting movement every day? I'm not talking about exercise. I'm just talking about movement. Yeah. Getting outside and some fresh air and with nature. Um, that was why last week was really hard for me was one of my, my total basics was taken away, which is Catalina State Park almost, you know, two or three times a week. 
Yeah. Um, are you eating three meals a day? Are you showering every day? (laughs) (laughs) Especially when we're working remotely. So I feel like anytime I notice that these things get really hard is my signal. Ooh, uh uh-oh. This is the time we got to watch out for capacity. So that's when my focus really shifts to making sure that those basics are happening until those become easy again. And I give myself a lot of permission to put down innovation, put down creativity until I have my basics back. And then suddenly out of nowhere, all this energy is there. All this capacity arises and innovation takes place again. And that, that is such great advice. And, and you did give me that advice um, a few weeks ago. And I have been putting that into practice and really looking hard at what kind of my non-negotiables are. You know, what, what do I need in order to feel healthy and feel like I'm in my flow and I have some reasonable amount of capacity in the face of all of this? And something that has helped me so much is, um, and this is so much easier to do in the summer than it is in the winter, but getting up early. Like I get up at 5.30 and I walk for an hour and I have my phone and I'm listening to music or I'm listening to an interesting podcast. And I have a whole hour of the sun on my face and the air on my skin and I'm looking at the mountains and there's something about having that hour to myself before my day really begins. You, you'd think you'd be more depleted because you're, you're exercising for an hour, but because it's walking, there's something about, like you said, being in nature mm-hmm. that's so restorative. Um, it really makes the rest of my day go very smoothly and and joyfully. Yay. I'm so glad that that's been helping. It really, I have to take my own advice. <laughs> like I said last week, I really need to uh, and find a, a different way to kind of connect with nature. And that's what actually brought me out up to Mount Lemon one day so that I could connect without uh, being in the smoke <laughs> from the fire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know. It's in the face of everything else, we're literally watching things burn. <laughs> it would become more challenging and I really don't want to tempt fate any further than it's been tempted this year. Right. And, and, yet, and yet I feel like this is such a metaphor for this time is like the Phoenix yes. and how things are reborn out of ashes. And so I've just told the universe, like I'm doubling down universe. Like <laughs> things are coming. I know it like, at this point. So that's, all right, I'm ready for the Phoenix. Let's go. I think I'm going to have to make that my desktop now. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> well, and this, this also segues into my, my next question. You have quite the knack for segues, Tabitha. Oh. Um, you know, you and I have talked about ways in which we, we integrate and we disintegrate. So when we're really integrated and all like cylinders are are firing and we're working in our flow and we have good energy and good capacity. It's like the world is our oyster. But when we disintegrate, it's usually we're under stress, we're sick, we're not getting enough sleep, we're not getting enough nourishment. There's something that's compromising our ability to function. And it's 
at those points that we're most susceptible to conflict. And so one of the things that I'm just beginning to learn from my, my own personal work with you is the process for nonviolent communication. And this is a system that helps people peacefully and effectively resolve their conflict. So describe for us, this seems like a very opportune time, um, describe for us the basic tenets of nonviolent communication and an example of how to apply them. Great, great question. Um, so there's actually a book um, that people can reference called Nonviolent Communication by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. So I'm just basically giving a quick summary of, of what's in the book. Um, he's brilliant. This technique is is written so easily, um, meaning it's so easy to read. He kind of writes it like a novel and takes you through real world experiences. Um, so, you know, I don't feel like it's, it's dull at all. It's super um, useful and exciting. But he kind of gives you a recipe, a recipe to really get to the root of what's truly going on for you, um, especially in conflict. And how then uh, specific ingredients, if you will, so the recipe and then the ingredients to handle that conflict with another person in a non-confrontational way. Um, and so the ingredients, um, we don't have enough time to give you the full recipe, but the, there's four main ingredients to this technique. Your first ingredient is your observation of the situation. Uh, just the facts, no assumptions or presumptions, just the observations. Your second ingredient is the feelings. This is how you are actually feeling, not you made me feel or, oh my gosh, it's, it's really just I am feeling statements where right. um, I was feeling or I have been feeling. And then the third ingredient is your needs. Now, this is why this is brilliant. Dr. Marshall Rosenberg made this discovery um, late 60s, early 70s, I think, where he correlated the feelings and the needs he realized that when we have a positive emotional response, it's because a need is being met. And when we have a negative emotional response, it's because a need is not being met. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about anyone who's listening, but when I'm hangry, <laughs> this is my favorite example. I, I am not a pleasant person to be around, and then you feed me, and about 20 minutes later, I'm happy as a clam. Yep. So, my need for hunger was met and therefore I stopped being grumpy. So uh, that's ingredient number three is your needs, which is something that no one has really stopped to think about often in our culture and our society in these conversations. And then the last ingredient is a request, either a request for kind of a mutually beneficial solution between the people or a request for a previously thought of solution that you think would accommodate everyone. So those are the main ingredients of nonviolent communication. That is awesome. And I was writing those down and I was thinking to myself that the world would probably be a calmer place if everyone had healthy snacks. Oh, yes, yes. And <laughs> everyone knew how to speak with their feelings and needs because you had said, what's a real life application that everyone could use? Um, those inner ingredients, your feelings and needs, they really do go hand in hand. And so- yeah. We rarely stop to consider what need is not being met right now. Yes. But if we pause long enough, that would be the exercise I'd give people to pause and ask, what is that unmet need? We then can begin to meet the need. 
But if we don't know what it is, we're kind of just grumpy or sad or angry. You know, we're just going around, you know, the day without knowing exactly what's wrong sometimes. And I, I think, you know, when you, when you state it objectively like this and, and nothing is at stake, it seems so straightforward. But I think something that you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation and something that I know is at the heart of Brene Brown's work is the willingness to be vulnerable. And it's very difficult for, for people. And I think it, whether it's a, uh, something that's been bred into us because of gender or bred into us because of our generation, but some people really struggle with expressing their feelings and even just saying i feel fill in the blank makes them feel vulnerable to the point where they shut that part of themselves down and they just kind of quietly breed resentment instead right yep i couldn't agree more with that (laughs) (laughs) and i'm so grateful for the work that Brene brown is doing to bring awareness to us with really quantifiable data actually Yeah, she's, she's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Actually, while I'm thinking of it, I'll make sure, um, I know you also had recommended her Netflix uh, special to me, and I watched it and just loved it. So I will put that in the show notes as well. So people have that as a point of reference, because um, you can't get to the request until you're able to state your feelings. So if you want to get all four ingredients in, you got to at least get past number two. It's so true. And that's, <laughs> it's such an amazing um, Netflix, Netflix series for anyone who needs some clarity. If you're looking for clarity right now, definitely watch that. We're going to take just a quick break. This is Small Biz Big Voices hosted by Stephanie Rising. I'm a small business coach on a mission to get business owners off their hamster wheel and empower them as authentic and influential leaders. My dynamic marketing course is now online with step-by-step videos and exercises to help you connect with your ideal client and discover your true sales personality. Find out if you are a panther, politician, protector, or professor by going to therisingeffect.com. Today, I'm visiting with Tabitha Danlow of The Divine Sophia. As a fellow coach, I think one thing we very much have in common is that we're willing to share ourselves to help others realize that they're not alone in their struggles. And, you know, this touches on something that, that we talked about earlier, that you know, leaders sometimes confuse being a role model with being perfect. Mm. And... I know that we both try and show that imperfection is not only natural, but it's often more interesting and there's more opportunities to learn from it. So my question for you, since you are my brave soul, (laughs) what, what are you not very good at and what have you learned as a result? So I'm not good at a lot of things, Stephanie, if we're super honest about this. Um, The first the first thing is I, I still struggle to ask for help sometimes. Um, so I think that's a lesson to all of us is that if we really want to improve our situation, we have to be willing to ask for help and be vulnerable. 
Um, so I absolutely have to practice what I preach some days harder than others. And, um, and so from there, the, the next example that's, that's really quite profound is I, I'm absolutely horribly terrible at all things mechanical. Uh, my husband is a handyman and I literally don't understand or can't really comprehend some of the things he does on a daily basis. <laughs> you and I so much have that in common. I don't think I could change a flat tire if my very life depended on it. Yeah, you know, that's the one thing I probably can do because- <laughs> Well, good, you're going with me on every road trip then. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will. And I was forced to um, as a teenager. That was something my dad was made sure I, I knew how to do just in case. But like the simplest things to, you know, for him, hanging a picture, for example, I feel embarrassed even saying this. I, I really don't get it. And it, it puts me in such awe and it really reminds me that it's okay because I'm really good with people. That's always been my strength from day one is I'm great with people. Not so good with anything mechanical or, <laughs> or technical. Like I'm just, it's not my gift. It's not my gift. So but when we're all working in our gifts, like Jared, my husband, he's amazing at some of the stuff. He can build a house literally from the ground up, like with ah. his head and some tools and some measurements. I, there's no way in a million years I could do that. And so when we're all working in our strengths and we're authentically choosing to do that and not trying to be someone we aren't and just owning it and saying, nope, I'm not good at this, but I'm really good at this thing over here. So I'm going to do that instead. Like this world's can operate in probably a better way than it currently does. Because I think yeah. a lot of us are trying to show up in ways that are inauthentic to what we're really good at. Ah, I love that you said that. Because it really does feel like a horrible inauthentic struggle mm -hmm. to devote all of your energy and, and just throw all of this effort at things that are, are antithetical to your very being. You know, I mean, like, I accept I suck at math. It's mm -hmm. just not my forte. I have been a, a language person my whole life. <laughs> I have never been good at math. And so I like accepting that and not criticizing myself for it and surrounding myself with people who are very good at that and can help me make sense out of things like financials or figuring out, you know, where is a company leaking money? I, I have so many people that I've been able to meet and connect with. It, it's like opened doors for me to right. acknowledge that this is just not an arrow I have in my quiver. And then don't you feel like relieved? Oh, so relieved. I know for me, when I find someone and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is your gift and this is your strength. Yay. Like, let's <laughs> together. And they're, they get to shine in the things that they do great. And I get to shine in my things and you get to shine in your things. And, oh, it's such a relief to me. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, it's, it's super liberating, actually. <laughs> now, there is one, one area of, of struggle that I know we have in common. And that is that one of the things that can be really difficult as a coach is getting people to understand the benefit of something that is intangible. Like, you know, when we're talking about our services, we're not selling something that people can look at or hold. It's really, it's like intellectual property and experience. So, you know, one thing that I 
I'd really like to ask guests on the show is what is something that people seem to misunderstand about your work? Yes, <laughs> you and I have a similar similarity with this, right? Um, yes. You know, there's a lot of things that people kind of assume about coaching. Um, I, I still am often asked, oh, which sports do you coach? Um, not <laughs> much anymore, but um, every once in a while I still get that question. But probably the biggest is that I'm here to tell them what to do. Yeah. I'm here to 100% like advise, tell them, direct their life. Um, and that's totally not true. <laughs> Um, or that they assume I have all the answers to every single one of their problems when really it's a partnership. It's, it's partnering with them to help them find the greatest answers using the wisdom that they already have within them. Yes. It's just, you know, blocked as we know stuff by fear, by doubt, by the busyness of this world. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, probably the assumption that I'm here to just do it for them versus they still have to do the hardest part, which is to, you know, make the changes, do the harder work. Yeah, and I, you know, I was, I was interested in, in hearing like your perspective on this because I, I, I make the assumption that all coaches struggle with the same thing. And the more I talk with coaches, the more that assumption seems to be an ironclad truth. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think that um, I think that people do view coaches, whether it's life coaching or business coaching or any other form of, of coaching, that we're some sort of like magic pill. Magician. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like if you if you just swallow what it is that we have to say, you know, poof all your problems will be gone and your business will be transformed and your life will possess no conflict. And so it, it's, it is interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think it says a lot about kind of what we've been discussing in terms of people not feeling like they have capacity or they're always kind of, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and where are they going to get the money and where are they going to get the energy? And they're just looking for, a fast way out of their situation, except that coaching is a process. Yes, very much so. Yeah. And you're a good onion peeler, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. you keep I going through those layers, babe, and it, it's great. I try. We all have <laughs> myself included. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of like anything in life. Um, and I'm a big believer that things don't have to be hard all the time. So when I said earlier, like, do the hard work, let me clarify. That to me is not 60 hours a week, nose to the grindstone. Like, I, I don't believe that life has to always be that way. I used to, but I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. um, when I say hard work, I'm talking about the layers, like you just mentioned. Yeah. It's, it's the willingness to look at the not so pretty things that we need to face about our businesses, yeah. <laughs> our lives, you know, and really see what's, what's truly holding us back from that next level of success. And it's, it's not always complicated, um, but it, it doesn't mean it's easy. So, yes, but you, you really excel at this work and, and, something that I wanted to celebrate with you publicly is that you are a finalist for this year's Spark Award, and I am so freaking proud of you. 
Thank you, Steph. I'm happy to celebrate that with you too, because you were uh, the winner last year, which is super cool. Thank you. And I got to be, I got to be a judge this year. I did not judge your application. Yeah, that would not I, have been ethical. <laughs> I told them that that would be a massive conflict of interest. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's exciting. You know, I had um, Pam Krim on the show a, a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me about hosting the virtual ceremony this year. And so I'm, I'm really excited that you and all of the other nominees are going to have a chance to be recognized for your good work. And like you said, I mean, having applied for this myself, I know the award is, the application is very extensive. Super extensive. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's an investment of time, but it's really an interesting process. And one thing that I was interested in asking you today is to have you share with us something that really stood out for you as you developed your answers? Like, what did you have to consciously realize about your work that maybe you hadn't taken the time to celebrate before? So I have to say that it was how innovative I have been in my business since day one. And I don't know why I hadn't fully seen that before, but one of the things that I submitted in my application was a silly Enneagram video where, and for those of you who don't know the Enneagram, it's this personality framework. Um, it's very robust. It dates back thousands of years, theoretically. Um, and it's just a really cool personality framework. Um, and so in the video I submitted, I acted out all nine uh, personality types. And I dressed up and I changed costumes and, um, and I had already done that video. I just had, I decided to add it as part of that, the application. And so it was interesting um, to look at not only the ethics that I had chosen to create from day one and to fully engage in, because this is an ethics award predominantly, mm -hmm. but secondly, you know, the innovation, because I actually am a finalist for the Spark Award, which is an innovative millennial entrepreneur. So there was also a moment of celebrating um, that not all millennials are uh, screwing up the world. <laughs> they, they are not. They, they get a bad rap. They do. Sometimes uh, millennials get quite a stereotype and here, here I am being, you know, celebrated innovative millennial and that felt really good to represent the millennial group and, you know, having, uh, having some of our stuff together, if you will. So that was pretty fun. And the video is a lot of fun and I'll make sure um, you can learn more about Tabitha and the Divine Sophia by visiting her website at thedivinesophia.com. And I will be sure that that is in today's show notes. So you can check out that video because it is a blast. It was so much fun to do. It was a really hilarious time. <laughs> <laughs> it came out great. Yeah, there may or may not be more coming, FYI. Ooh, stay tuned, everyone. Stay tuned. A coronavirus uh, maybe one coming soon. Oh, I hope so, because we could use the levity. Yes, yes. <laughs> Well, that is the end of our interview, which means it is time for our Proust lightning round. I'm so nervous about this. Okay. Oh, 
I love this part. It's so much fun because the answers are are very spontaneous. So spontaneous and off the cuff, right? Yes. Okay. All right. The Proust questionnaire was a parlor game made popular by the French essayist and novelist Marcel Proust. He believed that by answering 35 specific questions, an individual reveals their true nature. I'm going to ask you five of them. Are you ready? Yes. And I did not. I totally wanted to look this up in advance to prepare. And I decided not to because that would be totally against the point. So. Props to you for spontaneity. Yeah. yeah. Here, here we go. All right. All right. I picked, I picked these because, again, I know, I know you're my brave soul. Oh, God. Okay. So the first one is, what is your greatest fear? Oh, um, wow. You can't pick math because I already said that one. <laughs> My greatest fear would be losing every single person I love. Oh. And being totally alone and then somehow losing my home and living in a cardboard box and being totally alone. And yes, I've thought about this repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that was extremely specific. We just went dark, I know. <laughs> but you asked, I'm being honest. <laughs> no, I, I love honest answers. The second question is, what do you consider the most overrated virtue? Overrated virtue? Hmm. I don't know most overrated virtue you know this sounds crazy but hear me out love people use love like it's you know in and out burger sauce um oh i see where you're going yeah no like, i get it i yeah so i just feel like not that it isn't important to say i love you or to show love but i feel like even the word like i love you can be really um overused or not used well and so it it somehow lessens the power of it sometimes so. mm, that's a good observation yeah not not made any better with emojis but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right right uh, yeah uh, number three which talent would you most like to have oh can invisibility be a talent could i oh, like sure can i read minds and fly I don't know, any of those. Um, you know, sometimes I do wish I could draw if that was a talent. Yes. Um, I, I, can, I can sing and I, I can dance. So that's kind of my art ability, which I'm, I love and I'm grateful for that. But sometimes I'd love to sit and draw things that I think are so beautiful and I try and then I laugh at myself and, and recycle the paper. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's go find someone else who's really good right <laughs> that's their strength and I'm like I'm gonna support a small business and buy a beautiful print <laughs> the beauty of our limitations commerce right. for others yep <laughs> the fourth question is who are your favorite writers oh my gosh I'm totally rereading all of my Madeline Langle books oh she yeah wrote a wrinkle in time and Oh, all of her books, absolutely all of them are so ahead of her time. They're so deep and creative and she was so smart. She layered in so much wisdom and I just, oh, her stuff is profound. So I'm rereading all of that through the pandemic. Actually, that was an intentional choice that I made. Um, a great choice. 
I Love the Giver by Lois Lowry. I think I said that right. I'm an uber Harry Potter fan, so J.K. Rowling. Um, those are probably some big, big favorites of mine. Good picks. And the last question is, what is your motto? Mm, let go and trust. Oh, nice. That I'll one was that down. to let go and to trust. And it is something that I, I still work to live by all the time. It's a good thing to strive for. Yeah. Nice. The last segment of our show is Dear Coach. I'd love to have you chime in at the end of our last segment. Dear Coach gives our listeners the chance to have their emailed questions addressed. And I would say that many of the problems that I see in businesses, if not relationships in general, stem from either a misunderstanding of others or a focus on our challenges rather than on our strengths. So I'm going to do a four-part Dear Coach series on the DISC behavioral types to help us better recognize our own motivations as well as others. And today I'm featuring the D, who is the director. Ambitious, confident, and goal-oriented, the director is naturally a strategic thinker who lives in big picture mode. Following the rules is low on their list of priorities as conventional thinking usually gets in the way of their audacious vision. They are a fearless group, diving right into a project and confident in their ability to sort out the particulars later. Since they are agents of change, they need strong managers on their team who contend to the day-to-day. -day. You will never have to pull an opinion out of a director. They'll happily give it to you whether you seek it out or not. This is simply a function of how they process information and take action. Ds like to brainstorm, pull different ideas in, and then run with the best. They need to be in an environment that allows them to take risks and lead the effort. Each of the DISC behavioral styles has a specific emotional motivator that tends to guide their decision-making. Ds are motivated by anger. Now keep in mind that their anger is more akin to frustration. They tend to be very intuitive processing information and acting on it very quickly from a gut level. So this action-oriented bunch is provoked when progress is slow and they are not shy saying as much. There are actually two advantages to the director's anger. First, they find anger motivating and they can channel it into incredible productivity. Those of us who recently watched The Last Dance saw how Michael Jordan intentionally focused his anger toward competitors to achieve his six championships. Now, I'm not saying that MJ had the healthiest approach, but there is no denying that Ds who harness their competitive spirit are often able to turn around the toughest of situations. If a project is stalling or sales are down, leave it to the Ds to channel their frustration about the lack of momentum into a flurry of action that will get the ball rolling again. Sometimes their sheer drive can be perceived as abrasive. No doubt, directors can be unintentionally insensitive to people's feelings and personal space in pursuit of their objectives. They are unafraid of tough decisions. So when others around them are reacting more gradually or maybe even being a little wishy-washy, they can become easily irritated and impatient, if not irate. 
But the other upshot to their anger is that their interest in the future means they're far less likely to hold a grudge. By way of example, my husband and I saw a documentary on Frank Lloyd Wright. His grandson recalled how his father, who was also an architect, and his grandfather would have these blowout arguments with one another. An hour later, they would resume collaboration on a project as if nothing had happened. While everyone else was left confused and exhausted by the fight, Wright and his son simply moved on. That's typically of a high D style. The blow up can be fierce, but because they don't live in the past, moving forward and meeting the challenge before them is really what matters the most. All of this isn't to say that their fiery behavior doesn't have drawbacks for those around them. Ds who haven't yet figured out how to use their powers for good can leave a lot of scorched earth. Over the years, I've had to counsel my high D clients whose deep reserves of energy and ambition have wreaked a certain amount of havoc on their relationships. They need to remember to take time to mentor a team member who needs their support or be fully present with their family when they're on vacation. Their other struggle is delegation. Directors have exceptionally high expectations and don't always trust that someone else will do the job fast enough or to their standards. They also can lack the patience to train someone to take over their tasks. Being relentlessly driven by their vision and the tasks at hand needs to occasionally take a back seat to the feelings and learning styles of those around them. Ds who learn to balance their own potency with the needs of others are very powerful people. To sum up, Ds are a courageous, passionate, and entrepreneurial group who invest a great deal of themselves into accomplishing their goals. Their love of competition pushes them to achieve where others may be too timid. For innovation, strategic thinking, and growth, you definitely want a D on your team. We have a few minutes left. Tabitha, I wanted to ask like, what advice you can offer those of us with spicy directors in our lives? Like, how do you personally approach working with them? I love that word, spicy directors. So, <laughs> um, my, my first and probably most important advice is face it. You have to face like why you feel uncomfortable that they're in a different personality style than you. It's okay. Mm -hmm one's not good or bad or right or wrong. We're just all different. And it kind of goes back to the strength thing. Like, right. We have to see where some areas are better for others for strengths and other areas are not. And with D's, once you kind of accept it and explore it in your own discomfort, you can then begin to embrace a little D in yourself because I have found that it, if you do not take a stand, if you like back down, that's when you're actually going to have more problems on a yes. team. Now, this doesn't mean you're going like head to head here, but um, right. so, but it means like if a D is going to push back, if you bring a new idea, if you bring a solution, because they want to see if it has weak points, it doesn't mean they don't like it. They're just testing it out. Mm -hmm. So if you waffle right away, well, they're, they're going to lose respect for you basically. So that's mm -hmm. the thing I've learned the most is, you have to be willing to take a stand with a D to earn their respect. And that, that is excellent advice. And I know that, um, you know, when I'm coaching teams and there, there are Ds in the room and then I have 
just a, a whole group of introverts. And we'll, we'll get to the S and C's in, in later uh, Dear Coaches. But I'm always encouraging the D's to make some, some room and kind of create some space for their introverted counterparts. But the thing that I always tell the S's and C's is it's up to you to use your voice. And just as you said, Tams, if, if you're uncomfortable using your own voice, that is not the other person's issue. That is yours to really take a look at and figure out what you're going to do with that information. Yes, I love, I love how you said that. And I, that's kind of our own personal responsibility. Each of us have to stand up for ourselves and to hold our boundaries which I think, Steph, your, your term is D's can be boundary busters. Yes. Yes. So it's up to us to, to hold those boundaries sometimes. That is a perfect note to conclude on. Thank you so much. That yeah. brings us to the end of today's episode. If you have a question for our Dear Coach segment, or if you'd like to schedule a DISC meeting to discover what your behavioral style means to your business, please email me at stephanie at therisingeffect.com. I also invite you to follow the show on my website, therisingeffect.com, where you'll find our show notes and all of my Dear Coach tips. My thanks to today's guest, Tabitha Danlow of The Divine Sophia, to my producer, Mark Bishop, and to you for joining us on Small Biz, Big Voices. Stay safe and be well.